Welcome to the Creative Genius Podcast with Nicolette Wilson-Clark. Hello and welcome to the Creative Genius Show. You're listening on Riverside Radio. I'm Nicolette and what a pleasure to be here. If you're listening internationally, I have to tell you that London is absolutely wet today. And yesterday was the best day ever. Well, actually, it was the day before. It was literally the hottest day, apparently, of the year. And I remember this morning seeing on the news, uh, they were showing the newsreader sort of back end that he had all this wonderful suit on top and he was in his shorts. And they showed a picture of him in his shorts, like he had his undies on with his legs showing. That's how hot it was, peeps. And today we have absolute downpour. But it doesn't matter because right here in the studio, the sun is shining inside and out. And I have a guest today, which I can't wait to introduce you to. So let me check in with you guys. How are you? And how have you been since the last time we were together? I want to welcome you to The Creative Genius Show on Riverside Radio. And I'm Nicolette, and this is the local radio show that supports the creative in learning who they are so that they can courageously manage their emotional well-being and tap into their genius. And the overall aim of these shows is to support the mental and emotional well-being of the creative. And I do that through guest sharings and my sharings, plus my professional knowledge as a psychotherapist and a coach. And I'm curious about how you, the creative, flourishes in and out of each day and what I can do to emotionally and mentally support you. So, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to me either through my website, thecreativegenius.co.uk, or you can use any of the socials that I've got and you'll find them on the website. Now, this is my second show of June. Yes, I'm back. And I have my first guest in the new studios. (laughs) Uh, This wonderful guest, well, he graduated from Doreen Bird's Dance and Musical Theatre College and ever since has worked extensively in commercial dance, in fashion, in TV, in stage and the theatre industry as a dancer. More recently, though, he's upped his game as a choreographer, an assistant, a creative director and a movement coach. Some of his credits... I paused there because I just love the credits bit. (laughs) What you been doing since you started? (laughs) Well, some of his credits include Christina Aguilera, Katy Perry, Spice Girls Tour, Little Mix World Tour, Kylie Minogue Tour, D&G, Leona Lewis, Harry Styles, Robbie Williams, Laura and Vula, Eminem K, Stormzy, ITV, BBC, Hoonan TV, China, Netflix, RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and Sony Pictures. And I know there's so much more to come, but that's just the beginning. And there's a lot of recognizables there. And I do wonder where it all began. And we're going to find some of that out as I look through the mic gap at my guest. This afternoon's guest is also co-director of a creative company called TNG, where he and his business partner, Ricky Labib, provide outstanding training opportunities for young men and women. And I'd love to hear more about that. Today's guest is none other than Kieran Daly Ward. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? I am so good. I'm so good. It's so lovely to have you here. I know. It's so good to be here. Honestly, <laughs> thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It really is a pleasure. I want to thank you, uh, particularly for being here to support our fellow creators. Oh, of course. Whatever 100%. your offerings are. So thank you. You're welcome. So we've heard where you are right now in your career career yeah. Kieran so perhaps we could just begin at the beginning 
in exploring where it all began. A question, was this always the dream? Yes, 110%. Please share. Yeah, 110%. I, 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 thank you for that lovely introduction, by the way. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, all of these things. I've got a lot to live up to now. Oh my God. No, you, up you, you, are, you are all that and more. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, as are you. No, um, you. But I come from a really creative family. So my dad was one of the people that basically was an integral part of the Notting Hill Carnival in the early 90s. The building of it and the incorporation of like the different bands and the sound systems and, and you know, the associations that came with it. And I was born in 1989 and that's the same year that he started um, his carnival band. And so I kind of like grew and developed into that. And my mum always had this keen kind of interest for arts as well, screen printing and jewellery making and just arts as a collective. So it was something that was definitely within the household. And my mum, um, always loved dance so much and she got my sister into dance at three or four years old something like that and from then my sister went she was actually the second entry ever at the Brit school um, in Selhurst um, and went there and then went on to university and she always had this thing about she wanted to my sister her goal was never to be the performer it was to give dancers the opportunities that she wasn't afforded as a woman in arts and back then she wanted to do lots of things that are actually happening now which was the fusion of you know the 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 classical styles of the hip-hop styles which back then people were like what is this 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 is something that's not existing this is something that we don't think is going to catch on so she had all those loopholes and she wanted to create a an environment and an outlet that that could exist in and she's one of my biggest inspirations um ever and yeah, that's that's kind of how my journey began. I, I I saw my sister dance. I was like, oh my gosh, this this woman, this being, how she commands a space, what dance does, and that being an integral integral rhythm within my family anyway, and that being a part of my DNA was only natural for me to, I guess, move in that direction. Be it in dance or music or whatever that was going to be. I knew that as a create. I knew that I always had creativity in me and I was always given the opportunity to explore it and embrace it from my family. So, wow, yeah. The, gosh, so it's just in, in the genes, in the blood. It's in the genes, it's in the blood. And what's sis doing now? My sister, so she stepped away from dance now and she does um, nails okay. and beauty, yeah. Still creative. Uh, yeah, still, still creative, still creative. And it's like, it's a new thing. It's a new baby. And like mm. every time I see her, I see a new development of, you know, her checking out something new or, you know, growing in that. And I've actually had her on some of my, um, some of the jobs I've been able to um, go on now and, you know, kind yeah. of employ her and, of and get her work out there. And um, which has been great to always give back and always include and always kind of like open up opportunity. Yeah, I think, I know for myself, that's part of the reason why I do what I do is where I step into, I want to carry those people yeah. who have been working alongside me in their yeah. own unique ways yeah. as well. So I so resonate with yeah. that and lovely to hear. <laughs> and so who were you as a child, Kieran? And, and I'm wondering how much of little Kieran is, is still residing there? Mm, who was I as a child? Mm. Outgoing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely outgoing. I, um, you know, everyone's going left. I wanted to go right. I was always the child, always had my own sense of identity. You always knew when Kieran was in the room. 
And whilst that sounds really strong, it was also something that I used to shy away from a lot. And that comes with a lot of, I guess, a lot of different things in terms of just growing, understanding sexuality, your sexuality at a really young age, which feeds into the narrative of society and how you need to be and being in in constant conflict, but also understanding yourself really deep down and that being understood by other members of your family or your family in general. Um, but yeah, sm- little Kieran always resides in, and smaller Kieran, you know, I was a person where when puffer coats came out in the 90s, I, my dad was like, right, what coat do you want? And I was like, I want the fluorescent lime green one. Right. And I wore it for two years straight, bold and proud on the street every day. <laughs> I was that child, bright orange, tra- you know, it was like what I maybe, uh, lacked in in self confidence in like maybe internal ways. I used art and fashion and me as like my expression for like everything, and I think it still exists a lot in me now in the way that um, I approach things, in the way that I present myself, um, and I think in the energy that I carry. I think the child still. He's still very much there with me, that little boy. Oh, that's great. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious now about, you talked about shying away from stuff and you talked yeah. about lacking confidence. Would you care to share a little more about that? What, what, what was that about? Um, I don't know. You know what? Everyone believed in, especially my sister, my sister, my dad, everyone believed in me before I believed in myself, which is an amazing thing. Because I think for some performers especially performers of colour, especially males as well, often you can find that um, the family support maybe isn't as strong like at this stage when the success is there as it is in the beginning. Whereas I feel like I always had my champions right before I even knew that I was going to be able to champion myself. Yeah. And it's... um it's lovely hearing you talk about that network that's around you. Yeah. And what comes to mind is this thing of nobody can champion you more than you can champion yourself. Yeah. So I'm hearing that at some point you became aligned with their belief. Yes, yes. And th- th- yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Tell uh, me about that point. When was that? When was that point? I guess that point was maybe about 13 years old when... I started a company with my sister, a dance company with my sister. And I also became a director of my dad's company. I mean, I was a director of my dad's company at like 10 years old. It's like, there's some really crazy things, but like, you know, like I I stepped into business mode with my sister and I stepped into this like, this, 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 um, this role of being a leader, of being a mentor at such a young age. You know, I thought about that in the car here and I was like, wow, where, you know, so much of the, yeah, I basically stepped into, I stepped into that point there, I would say, like 13 or 14. Mm. Um, just because I guess at that age as well, you have no fear. I, I knew, I understood, I understood that I was so young and I had so much more to learn and that even if I went wrong, I still had so much time to amend things and learn and grow. So fear really wasn't like a thing other than, I guess the fear that I was putting on myself or kind of like my expectation of what I felt like I needed to do, which actually I would say because of that point at 13 or 14 and getting that confidence and kind of like stepping into my light, you could say, or stepping into like the role that everyone envisioned for me and I kind of like saw for myself there. 
actually that's probably when a lot of the confidence issues then started to come in as well because you expose yourself to the world, don't you? And then you you kind of give light platform and you've set a bar and a precedent for yourself that if you're ambitious, you always feel as though you need to, I don't know, keep up with. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, so where does the fear show itself now? The fear shows itself in the success, I, I guess, that I've worked at having. What does it look like? Fear. Yeah, for you. How do you know it's fear? Judgment. Mainly of myself. Mainly of myself. But what I think, I guess, someone else is going to have an opinion of me of, if that makes sense, if that's even English. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure the audience will work it out. You know? Yeah. um, Yeah, it's, 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 it's that. And, you know... Some days you have the days where, you know, someone else's opinion is none of your business at the end of the day. It's none of your business, like what someone else's opinion of you is. However, when you are rooted in an industry that is based upon opinion and you've grown in that, it's hard not to loads of those things, those traits, those values, those beliefs to somehow rub off on your psyche. And especially when you become less of maybe a dancer and being part of a collective and you start to move into being a creative or a choreographer. It's a very lonely place to sit because it's very much you if your thoughts. Right. And you do have teams and you do have systems, but ultimately it's it's you judging your work and other people judging your work and putting, especially in the commercial kind of world or, you know, well, I guess any, any world that's going to be paying you, there's always going to be a judgment on, especially when you have to deliver it to an audience, mm-hmm. there's always going to be judgment and there's always going to be cause for opinion. It takes a lot to stand in your truth and say, well, this is me. Yeah. This is what I stand for. Yeah. Yeah. So judgment is how that fear shows up a lot, I think. Yes. Um, and I, I'm more than sure that the listeners can resonate with that and they'll have their own way of it showing up mm. as well as a fear for them. And, and, do you feel that you've managed that? You've found coping strategies for that when it comes up? Yes and no. The inner saboteur is very strong sometimes, mm. very large. And especially when you're in a space of transition, which I think most creatives are always in, you finish one project and you start a next, you're starting at ground zero and you're having to build that foundation up again to create something new. It's a whole new process. Now, depending on where you are and how comfortable you are will depend on obviously how you engage within that process and how well you can navigate yourself through each thing. Mm -hmm. But I think the process of creating and ultimate transition with judgment is quite a hard place to be and have I got have I got the tools I guess so I've got my tools I think a lot of my tools actually have been (laughs) recreating and going delving back into work and distracting myself and knowing that at the end of the day you have to produce this work so you better get on with it and you better do it and there's no other way that this is going to happen so it's fight or flight and I'm not I'm I am or sink or swim and I'm not sinking. So, you know, and that is the mentality. So it's 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 that as well. I guess, is that at all? I don't know, Is or is that a coping mechanism? Could be a coping mechanism, it could be avoidance. Or avoidance. It could be, it, it's, it's what gets you through and it's yeah. also about how it serves you. Does it have a fallout that's negative or actually does it allow you to thrive? And mm. everybody's coping mechanism will be so unique to them, but it does it allow you to do what you're doing as you do it? And Mm. does it allow you to do what you're doing as you do it? 
you asking me? Yeah. Because then, 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 then you can determine whether it's a positive way to manage the fears. I think it does have a good, when I know that I've got to do something and I just have to get on and do it and deliver it, nine times out of 10, I get through it and I get to the end and I go, do you know what? That was a piece of work at times, but I'm so proud that I got to the end of that. And I think especially when you're dancing, especially with anything that's to do with dance and movement, I think, you know, dancers and anyone that works with movement and movement therapy or anything like that, there's a way of being able to shift trauma through the body. Yes. And whether that's you physically dancing or seeing it being released through other people or that that real process of, you know, beginning, middle and end and understanding that journey and applying the, the emotions that have come within that journey with you, I think, I think it allows you to move through it. So I think in that way, still being very rooted in dance, no matter what kind of like bit I'm at within that works quite well letting me move through it. So yes, I guess for in, in some in some respects, yeah, it does it does really work. I, I love the way that you've incorporated somatic work because I work with my clients somatically, you know, mm -hmm, with the body mm -hmm. and understanding the sensations and the release that the body holds the trauma mm -hmm. and that when we connect with it, it can speak to us and we mm -hmm. can really understand what's being held and what needs to be released and where we could place things for next time if we want it yeah. and where we can let things go. And so it's, it's really lovely to hear you talking about how dance is that. It yeah. is a, a form of trauma release. It is therapeutic. And many, many dancers express how they are able to step into who, they're, who they are authentically when they move, mm. you know, through their own creations. Uh, and that's just an example of, of how amazing it is. Yeah. You mentioned about sexuality, Kieran. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you'd be open to, to touching on that. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to a little break. Um, we've got a half past coming up. And then I'd love to delve into that. Of course. Okay, great. Why not check out the Creative Genius website, thecreativegenius.co.uk, and see how it can serve you on your creative journey. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Nicolette on Riverside Radio. I have the amazing Kieran Daly-Ward in the studio with me. And we've been talking about all sorts of stuff during the break and on the air. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we finished on the air talking about, well, actually just stepping into sexuality. Kieran brought it up in, when he was talking about himself initially. And I was just curious to find out more about it because it's who you are. And I'm sure my listeners can resonate with some of the stuff that you'll you'll share. So you mentioned that when you were not wanting to be seen as a young person, there were parts of you, even mm. though you had lots of confidence, not wanting to be seen. Uh, sexuality was a part of that. And I wondered if you could shed some more light on that. Yeah, I think I was always aware that I was always aware that I was gay. I was always aware it was it was something that I never hid. It was something that also like my mom and my aunties and my family, I think they, well, I know, I don't think, I know they embraced, they definitely embraced it. But I think the, the, the early nineties, you know, I grew up in Battersea um, and growing up, you know, here and in South London kind of thing and that, I, it was okay for me to be that at home. It wasn't maybe okay to be that out there. So there was this internal struggle and conflict and that I was aware of and what was very much brought to, 
brought to my attention and in my existence for me personally from other people outside made me shut off parts of myself which were my sexuality and my effeminate sides and the side that I'm, I think I'm both of them, the masculine and the feminine, I enjoy both, you know, very much so. And I live in both of them a lot. And especially the feminine side, because I have such a deep connection and love for women. Like I was grown by women, I would say. My mum and my aunties and my sisters, you know, the first person I ever saw dancing was my sister. Janet Jackson was like my idol or my icon, you know. I was I was obsessed with women in power and I just I just love women, you know, in mm. in, in all that they are and all that they all that they represent. And I think the fact that I couldn't express that and I knew that it wasn't okay for me to express it and I didn't feel safe expressing it at many points. It I ended up hiding and then I think it became something that turned into shame and then something that held on. And as I got older, I, I definitely stepped into my sexuality more and understood the power that existed within me. And again, what someone thinks of you is none of your business, but that takes a long time to get over yeah. and still get over. And gay shame is a real thing. And is a real thing that I know that probably many, many um, gay men kind of like live with or have had at one point or another. But yeah, that, that's what I mean in terms of just uh, sexuality and having to hide parts of, of yourself when you're younger, but knowing that that exists so strongly it being conflicting. And so the conflict, what was the non-acceptance looking like when you came out of the comfort and security mm. I'm hearing of your family, the embracing of your identity, and then you stepped into your environment? Mm. What was that like? What did you receive to know that there was non-acceptance there? Uh, insult. Because I... As I said, you know, the boy in the fluorescent green puffer jacket, you couldn't miss it. Mm. You know, you could not miss it. You know, the limp hands, the in the conversation, the hands are going everywhere. You know, you, you spend, you spend, you know, a good proportion of your life sitting in the kitchen with your aunties and your mum. And when they used to come over and your hair in the natter and, you know, just like the talk with the women in the Caribbean house, you know, you that enriches you and it becomes a part of who you are and you love it and they love you loving it and you love it. So, you know, but you leave that environment and you go out to a world that maybe the, the, the same thing doesn't exist in terms of what the stereotype of a young male should be. And then ridicule comes and it's, and, you know, unwanted, I would say, uninvited attention comes and it can do a lot to the person and it can do a lot to the mental and the emotional well-being of someone of um but you know fight or flight come from a strong family of women a strong family of men and you know fight or flights so what do you do you brush it off and you get on but you know each each time you have to you have to come in contact with that a little bit more of that glitter and that sparkle fades and a little bit more of your glitter and your sparkle goes until you're left with a version of yourself that is acceptable for society and acceptable for how you need to live in your reality that then ultimately just becomes your reality until the caged bird needs to get out and 
spread the wings and fly, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so the family, just thinking about all these amazing, strong women in your lives, mm. how did your experiences impact them? Were they ever witness to it? Did you ever share it when you came back into the home? How did they respond to it? You know, this is something that I'm actually working on personally at the moment in terms of um, I never felt protected. So I was protected, you know, like, you know, you say the wrong thing to baby Kieran and, you know, you have a tribe of these women like coming after you. It's that kind of thing, you know, but like, or men or whoever, but, you know, like highly protected, but at the same time, not it's a really, it's a, it was a, it's a really weird situation. It's a be yourself, but don't do that in front of those people. But, oh, if you are that and someone says anything, you'll be punished for it out of the embarrassment that maybe that family member feels for you instead of you them protecting you and letting you stand in your truth. So then there's that psychological of, oh gosh, right, now I don't want the family to get in trouble or to there to be an altercation. So it's okay for me to do that, but oh, okay. But then they start pointing out things as time goes on, maybe unlimp your hand, why, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah. Kieran, you know, but you know how Kieran is, <laughs> it's a, oh gosh, it's this, it's this push and pull. So you start making intelligent decisions as a child, as a young person, yes. as a human, and you go, oh right, this interaction does not work for everyone. Oh gosh, it's not even working now sometimes in these situations because I've got to pick and choose when I can be that and when I can't. So you begin to show your real self in particular situations. But as I said, it just, you just learn how to um, cope. You learn how to deal. Um, you learn how to shield. You learn how to protect. Um, ultimately yourself you do and how would you say how would you say you then showed up to the world if you were to describe yourself in that era and that time how were you showing up what was Kieran like as a protected child protecting himself I think this is where a lot of the fear and the confidence when I talk about the fear and the confidence comes from like how can you be so confident and so like, like at that age, like so out there, if that makes sense, if like so much of you is not allowed to be seen. Then on the flip side, you kind of then look at the position that my dad was putting me in, in terms of with his company. And then the the position that was afforded with me and my sister in our company. And then, you know, my my dance journey where I was kind of like in really good, doing a lot at such a young age, even as a like, dancer and being in these kind of circles and moving in this position of like power I guess my power came from the dance then right right okay <laughs> so, so you that, know that, that I was, was that protector. kid yeah I was that kid that was like oh I was a nine-year-old dancing with the 16-year-old or oh, I was a 12-year-old that got into the professional company and danced with all of these amazing people that went on to have amazing careers and but I was like you know 10 years away from where they're 10 years they're junior so you know, and then I go on and I create this company with my sister and then we create these beasts and they are now like the movers and the shakers in the industry as it exists now. But, you know, like it was that and I would sit at the head of the table and be there or choreograph shows for Alexandra Palace or at, you know, 14, like, like things. So I sat in my power in terms of um, my creativity. 
and my sexuality or the bits that I had to hide, I guess, would come through my art because you, you could be the masculine and the feminine because that was allowed to be ruled in that world when being a choreographer, having to choreograph for women, but also for men, but it can be masked through the hip hop culture in some particular way. So it still keeps me masculine. It still keeps that kind of like, that shield over me that society needs me to see, but still allows me to engage within my feminine. It's like, it's a really weird thing. <laughs> you, you, were, you were pretty strategic and intelligent with the way you looked after yourself. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't sound like it was something that was actually a choice though in the moment. It, no. sound, it sounds like you just needed to step up and show yourself. Yeah. But you could only show certain sides of yourself. Yeah, definitely. And so how would you have liked to have been protected? You know, in moments that people knew things would have been said about me or maybe I would have been called a particular name or there would have been things that, you know, would have triggered me that if it triggers me, like, you know, particular names and slurs that people have for gay men and they use those as a derogatory term if it affects me and it offends me i can only imagine that if you love me that it affects and offends you because if someone says something about someone that i love that is not nice it definitely affects and it offends me and i want to show up and even if it's not to the degree that you need to jump in and get involved it's like the acknowledgement of you're okay you're yeah. good you're good you know yeah, so what, I think what, a little bit of that. What, what, as in that wasn't present? That wasn't present. No, just showing up and saying, "Hey, I see you, yeah. and I see you're going through something." Yeah, checking in. Yeah, but at the same time, I I carried such a good bravado and this like level of confidence. You know, I called it social gloss. You know, this thing where you step out and it's like you're there. You're in a position, your words are not going to hurt me. And also, like, I was I'm, I, I was, and still am, can be very mouthy. So, you know, I give as good as I get. And that that's just it. And you learn how to, you just learn how to navigate your way through it. And yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that, because as you were talking previously, my mind was going on to, so what were you contributing that gave your family a belief that actually maybe you don't need protecting in that mm. way? And and you've, Definitely you, that. You, you've answered it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you had asked for it, yeah, they weren't going to to be that way with you. Yeah, and I think like I've always been told, or I was always told that I was like wise beyond my years, and you know, and you know, an old soul, and you know, my aunt used to be like, "You've been here before," and I was like, "Okay," um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jamaican, like, "You've been here, I can see this." I was like, "Yeah, okay," but you know, like. I don't know. Um, yeah. 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 I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> so, first gig. First gig. First gig with an established name. Okay. Or first gig that made you think, hey, man, I am on the scene. I am here. Was there one? Yeah. I guess. I guess my first TV job. Um, I said earlier, like, went to Birds, done my three years. And do you know what's really funny? I didn't really know what the commercial industry was before you even go into Bird. I was like, what is this? Because I was seeing this, like, I knew I wanted to, like, dance for, like, artists and, you know, do TV. But I was like, how do you, you know, it's always, it's always that question for a lot of people, isn't it? How do I get there? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. So 
navigating my way through bed, I just knew that I wanted to have technique. I'd done hip hop for years and I was like, I wanna I wanna point my feet, I wanna stretch my limbs, I want contemporary. I don't, my my thirst for like creativity was like so big. I was like, oh, but I was like, I wanna know like the correct ways of how to move my body how these different styles move, you know, want to blend things and mix things together. I want to do what my sister what couldn't do. I'm going to do that because I'm I'm passionate about it as well. So yeah, anyway, David Layton was one of my teachers at Bird and third year, he, you know, beginning my third year, he kind of said, you know, I've got this uh, artist that I'm doing um, for X Factory available. Um, and I said, yes. And I went on and I done it. And actually I hit my aim. I went to Bird at 18 and I said, by the time I leave at 21, I want to hit the commercial industry and I want to be on TV and I actually done my first TV on my 21st birthday. Okay. Yeah, so that was, that landed directly on the day That was 21st. the X Factor one. The X Factor, yeah. I didn't feel, that's not like a, hey, yeah, I'm here, but it was a, oh my gosh, like I've just done that mm. and this is possible now. Yes, I've yes. got a taste of that. So I'm I under, I'm understanding how I can maybe navigate my way through this. It's the power of possibility, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. Get a taste. And so throughout your career so far, what would you say has been your biggest hurdle? Me. Okay. <laughs> that, that's beautifully honest. Me. Yeah. Tell me more. Me. Um, I think about, I think it just relates back to what I spoke about earlier, which is, you know, your inner saboteur, what's in your mind, that level of expectation. And, you know, if you go back further, I think it does have a lot to do with the, I guess the opportunities that I was afforded when I was younger and being in those positions of kind of maybe authority and power and always feeling as that, you know, I, I, I struggle with it now being like, you know, I always feel like I need to know the answer. And lots of people do. And I, I really do think it comes from that time of like, I, I felt as though there, there couldn't be any wrong in what I was doing at 14, I mean, which is, at 31 now and thinking back then, I'm like, that is ridiculous. Like, that is so <laughs> ridiculous. But still thinking as though I had a lot to learn. Mm. But the fear of like, oh gosh, now I can't get this wrong because I've got, I'm building a name, 14. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, a title for myself and this, and you know, I've got, you know, 500 students and it's that and it's this company. And you're like, what? Like, that? that is crazy. And I think it's definitely, it stemmed, I guess, a lot from that. And that that's a lot of me getting in the way of myself. Mm. And, it, and it still continues to exist. Um, and it, expectation yeah. is just one of the biggest things, like what you expect of yourself. And apparently I expect so much when sometimes I'm like, I don't even feel like I expect that much, but it's, it's not, it's the, it definitely is, it's the expectation. The biggest hurdle has been me. Okay. And the thing about expectations, it can be managed. It's not, it's not, mm. a, it's not a bad word. Mm. It just needs to be managed. Yeah. Um, I've got so many questions for you, Kieran. And of course, time waits for no person because it, the clock is <laughs> the ticking. Clock is ticking. What's going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you are connected with Dancers Network. Yes. Yes. And I want to bring them in. I want to bring them up, pick them up and, and really just, <laughs> just have a moment just to, to talk about them. What is Dancers Network? Dancers Network is an organization and a platform that was created by dancers for dancers and set up to 
basically help protect the dancers' rights and the equal rights for dancers um, within the dance community. It started within the commercial industry for commercial dancers, but you know we cover dancing like all areas. We'd like to say we cover dancing all areas. Okay, and and how did you get involved? Just an overview. Just an overview. Yeah, it just started with two girls, uh, Lily Hodge and uh, Richie, and they were sitting there on a job one day, and they were like, "We need to get better conditions." And they started talking with equity, started thinking about, you know, how can we be protected? They had one meeting. They invited a load of load of us down. I was there at the first meeting, and I'll, I'm still there now because um, it's something I'm so passionate about about the industry and its its involvement and how it's going to evolve and you know um and that's how that's how i got involved really how long ago was that uh, like three years ago okay yeah three and four years ago now you've just spent the last week uh, literally being immersed yeah in, um, <laughs> dn t- at times uh, blm hashtag yes. blm so dancers network times black lives matter um just an overview of what that was and what was the ob- what was the ultimate objective of of doing that the ultimate objective of that was awareness after the um, brutal murder of George Floyd last year and kind of what then led on to the Black Lives Matter movement and the global movement that happened. You know, myself and um, Aisha Greed, who worked on who I worked on a project with, we were both the organisers of it. It was important that, you know, we gave a platform to these topics and some of the topics that have come up since last year um, to start and engage in conversation again so we can see how far have we come um, and what work do we have to do. And so, you know, a level of conversation can happen again in order for some change to begin yeah, it's about dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. So moving on to something about you to do with TNG. <laughs> what is it? It sounds it sounds amazing. It sounds so like you're giving back. <laughs> yeah. So TNG started, um, oh my gosh, like 11 years ago um, by uh, Ricky, but his name's Tariq Labib. Um, and it started off just as kind of like a Saturday thing, Saturday dance school that wanted to happen as LA, LA stars actually and evolved into TNG. Um, and now we have um, a program that is run called the PDP, which is, which is stands for Professional Development Program. Um, and it's basically to help those dancers um, navigate their way into the commercial industry, um, which we've successfully done with lots of dancers. Um, and also we just love, you know, from the time of teaching with my sister and having that company to now being a director with um, Ricky um, and TNG, it's just, we just love to do it. I love to see people succeed. He loves to see people succeed. And we're both so passionate about this industry that the only way, there are so many things that we look at and we're like, oh, we don't agree with that. And instead of moaning, we're now doing to like fix and kind of give insight, give platform, give give the knowledge to the young people that are out there that want to be under our wing and under our journey to you know give them the space to grow mm. an opportunity to try and exist and thrive most importantly in this industry wonderful and last question yes <laughs> i'm thinking of gems golden nuggets pearls of wisdom in your experience doing what you do if there's a creative out there who is just challenged with this journey and they're just unsure do you have a pearl of wisdom that you would like to offer them that could in some way you know the question if you were looking back on your 16 year old self and what Mm. would you say to yourself something that they can take with because someone has experienced it and they can run with it if it resonates with them just some guidance and support i just think and this is something that i'm still having to do now sometimes you just need to stop and you need to take a breath 
And um, sometimes you need to not be aware of time. I think sometimes allowing yourself to exist in limbo, even though it's horrible, definitely works because the space allows time to grow. Just if you're creative, you need space sometimes for your thoughts and for that creativity to, to grow and to bud and to bloom. And I think sometimes if you congest it, and especially when you put time on it and restraints of that, I think it can get all a little bit too heavy. So yeah, knowing, knowing, knowing what you need, your space, your time, and knowing what works for you and have fun. I love that, F-U-N. <laughs> have fun <laughs> yeah. and you talking about having that space and not knowing that goes back to something you said earlier where you feel like you always need to know the answer mm. so I'm you know thinking that must be quite a challenge but yeah. something you're working on I'm definitely having to work on it a lot and can see the benefits <laughs> of yeah oh. yeah it's been such a pleasure, Karen. Thank you, Thank Nicolette. you so much for being here and for sharing everything with everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been amazing. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, podcast will be out so that you can listen to this and catch up with it. Uh, share it with a friend. Let people know that this show is about. I would love that. Um, and I want to say thank you. And if there's anything in this show that has in some way triggered uncomfortable thoughts, I would like to remind you that you can always reach out to the Samaritans and you can contact them in the UK on 116123. That's 116123 for immediate support. If, however, it's not immediate, you know, feel free to email myself i'm a psychotherapist trained and a coach and i'm here to serve you so you know let me know what's on your mind it's always lovely to hear from you and you can contact me via my website which is the creativegenius.co.uk it's always a pleasure follow at creative genius coach on instagram and maybe just say hey i listened to your show that's how i know that you're following it's always <laughs> nice to say just just to connect with people let's do active IG social mediaing, not passive, where we go into little warrens of just looking all the time. Connect with people and be engaged so you keep the mind working and you can then decide when to come out. Don't be passive. So I want to thank you, Kieran, for engaging today and being a part of this show. Welcome. Thank you. You're and welcome. you guys stay out there, be safe, keep breathing, and most of all, beautiful creatives, keep creating. You've been listening to The Creative Genius Show with Nicolette Wilson-Clark. Thank you so much for listening.